When he's not running his family farm, investing in early stage tech startups, creating profitable revenue engines, or playing CEO at LeadMD, a performance marketing consultancy he founded back in 2011, Justin Gray likes to share his knowledge as a weekly columnist for Inc. Magazine. Justin builds businesses because in his words, he is unemployable, an idea sought after by many, but achieved by very few. Tonight, on Chasing Capitalism. Hey, thanks for having me. So your ethos is what this podcast is all about, or talk show, I should say, um, and that is you build businesses because you're unemployable. <laughs> so how did you how did you reach that mindset that takes so many of their entire life's work so early on? Um, I would say, unfortunately, through trial and error. So okay. like like everyone else, I went to school for, in my case, marketing, which is actually rare to be in marketing, having gone to school for it. Not that I learned a lot that I. Uh, put to use on a daily basis, but uh, got a job out of out of college, got another job, hated each one of them, probably increasingly more, um, and then frankly got an opportunity, which I think is is probably the the biggest lesson that I always kind of extol, which is like meet people, knock on doors, ask people for their time, you know, like just start getting a window in other people's lives, and like good things will happen. Um, the gal I was dating at the time actually got into an argument at a bar with a, uh, a gentleman, turned out to be an entrepreneur starting a business, and asked her if she wanted to come on as their marketing director, of which, you know, st uh, joining a business with like eight dudes uh, was not really high up on her priority list. Uh, but she said, hey, the, the guy I'm dating is looking for a new job. He hates what he's doing right now. It's a great marketer, so on and so forth. Um, so that led to a meeting, and that led me coming on as, as their first marketing director, and uh, ultimately took that company from just under a million dollars in annual revenue to 64 million at the time when I left and kind of cashed out my equity there. Uh, and that experience was, was just kind of the model for, uh, even though I was working for someone else, I was, you know, had complete autonomy over sales, mar yeah, marketing initially, then I took over sales as well, became their youngest vice president, uh, ultimately took an equ equity position within the company and uh, knew that's the environment that I wanted to be in going forward. Just one where, you know, hey, here's the bar, here's, here's what success looks like go achieve it through whatever means you, you can put together. And uh, so it just kind of made sense for me to graduate from there on to doing my own thing. I think that's so important what you said about always, you know, meeting people, taking mm -hmm. the coffee date, um, you know, so much as possible through that. I, totally. I just got invited to see Charlie Kirk speak the other night just because no conversation came up at a yep. dinner I didn't necessarily want to go to, but I, th <laughs> I think that's huge. Um, so can we track back a little bit and kind of discuss Grayson Organics, the company you and your sure. father were involved in? So essentially, for the viewers, so you have a good understanding, in 2008, your father went through the housing recession mm -hmm. in a real estate gig that he founded, correct? Uh, architecture and design builds. Okay. So he's been building custom homes in uh, really Fountain Hills and Rio Verde, Arizona since the early 70s. Okay. Um, and basically just eventually wanted to try something new after mm -hmm. experiencing that tank, so ended up buying 200 acres of land in rural Missouri and then eventually transforming it into farmland. An organic farm, yeah, okay. exactly. Okay, so what was the role you played in that and why did your father want you to come on? Was it 
like you said, for your marketing and consultant, consulting skills and increasing the ROI for his newly founded company? Or what, what did that look like, your father-son business relationship? Yeah, and, and you know, I guess it, it is a model for kind of what I believe about business as well. Like partner with people that do things that you don't do very well, which certainly I'm probably not the operations and logistics guy, right? Um, so, but he's excels in that regard. He's the, I'm gonna sit there and research this and fill out all this paperwork and get organic certifications. And really the, the impetus or the idea was we eventually want to grow either hemp or marijuana right. on this land. Um, but that wasn't a possibility at that time. So we, we went the organic route. Uh, I obviously handled the sales and marketing end of things. So just, you know, basic websites and branding, things like that. Uh, but also just kind of getting the word out, talking to people, figuring out where we're gonna distribute those products and, and things of that nature. So that's, that's kind of my bent. Uh, so it worked out really well and he needed, you know, capital to, to start those things up. And right. uh, fortunately I was in a position to provide that. Have you ever um, considered pivoting into that, like you said, marijuana and hemp? We have, uh, yeah. You are today? <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah, so with the passing of the farm bill, last year was our first crop. Okay. Um, so we converted, so the farm's you know, roughly 130 acres, um, about 60% of that's tillable. So we took five acres just as an experiment, did uh, industrial hemp. So we uh, focus on CBG, which is like, if you're familiar with CBD, CBG, CBG, yeah, it's a different strain. It's essentially like there's ratios in terms of THC and okay. and the things that people want from a health benefit perspective. So CBD has a really tight ratio. Like you have this much THC and you have this much CBG or CBD. CBG is like this, okay. right? So it's less risky, right. um, but you get all the same health benefits and okay. so on. So uh, we went that route, grew a little bit indoors in, in what we call high tunnel, um, some field crop as well, and ended up with a really great product. And that's his sole focus now, is the farm. It, well, I wouldn't say that. He does a little building still, but okay. certainly the, the farm is, is uh, <laughs> a big time suck. And did you guys both go into that not necessarily knowing what you were doing and taking totally, a leap of faith? Totally, I mean, okay. I would say the organic space, you know, is a, is a really new one. It's also a space where like the individual independent farmer doesn't, you know, has an eroding area of the marketplace. In hemp, I mean, hemp is like the Wild West. It's, it's crazy. Like you, you, you reach out to someone online and nine times out of 10, they don't have what they say they have or they're you know, not necessarily being above board. So it's, uh, that kind of environment's fun to me as well, but um, it, definitely everyone out there is learning. So are you doing your best to kind of set the standard? Because in totally. my opinion, the marijuana farm, to my knowledge, or at least what I know about it, is certainly undefined mm -hmm. in terms of quality control, you know, branding, yep. Yep. top name out there. And a lot of guys are trying to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, and the horror stories that I've heard, not necessarily from you, obviously, but I've talked to a few guys that have started their own farm and similar businesses of the sorts, and it's just been a complete disaster tax-wise. Yep. Um, can you kind of speak a little bit on what that's been like and where your farm is located? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. So we're in Missouri, we're, we're in rural Missouri. Um, there's a lot of corners that can be cut within that business, certainly okay. even within organic, right? Like you, you have to be above board. You have to be one of those people that's gonna say like quality is our first product. Right. Um, and it, you know, hemp is bad. I can't even imagine what it would be like on the marijuana side of the house um, because there's just, you know, a, a kind of a gold rush element to that even more so than hemp. Um, but to do organic, like certified organic hemp is a very small part of the market, right? Like because Organic certification takes three years. So most people that are starting out to start a hemp or a marijuana farm, they've got a three-year runway until they can put that, that stamp on it. Because we got in early, 
we've got all of those. Were you grandfathered in? Well, uh, as far as the organic cert, yes. Okay. As far as growing hemp, no. Okay. Like, that's a whole new certification process that we had to go through. Um, but I feel like that gave us the knowledge around the farming aspect of it, the organic aspect of it. So we knew what we could and couldn't do. We knew what we wanted to produce from a product uh, perspective. And I think then at that point, just being true to, hey, we're going to carry this over and we're going we're to grow a, a premium product. So do you have still checks and balances of the crops that you do grow, or are you primarily um, THG, or, or not THG, the CBG? CBG, but, but there are, so the big thing in hemp farming, right, is ensuring that you're not growing marijuana. So you're testing, n number one, if you get a quote-unquote hot batch, which is what they call it, like if your THC level goes above that 0.03%, okay. That you have to burn that crop, like literally, I think within 72 hours. Okay. So ensuring that you're not going above that level is critical. You've got to send off for testing. You've got to, you know, catalog those test results, send them into the federal government. Every time you sell something, you have to have that ledger in terms of, yep, here's our tests. We we know this, you know, this lot, this row was tested good, and all of that paperwork chain provides a real opportunity for people to try and circumvent that and kind of, you know, cheat those rules and so on. So the, the more organized you are, obviously, the better. Actually, it's a huge application for blockchain. Like, someone needs to come in there and just solve that entire process end-to-end -end using something like a, you know, a, a blockchain ledger. So where does the real estate profit tie in, if at all, to this farm? Um, do you kind of rent out certain acres to other people? Um, do other people own equity in this farm? How, how does it work? Yeah, in, so, in so no instance? one owns any of the farm but us. Okay. Um, we have, you know, subbed that out for, you know, uh, renting acreage for farming and so on in the past. But now that we're involved with it, all the, all the acreage is ours. Okay. So, you know, just in terms of like building an asset, certainly building organic certified land is, is a way to increase the value of that asset, certainly. Uh-huh. Yeah. As well as everything that goes with that, right? Like equipment is, is crazy. So like you said, your father um, sold out of his company during the housing recession. Has he ever thought of doing something new after this project that you guys have been working on for two decades, a yeah. decade or two now? Uh, about a decade, yeah, okay. exactly. About 11 years. Um, so it, it, just to be clear, like he didn't sell that, like it was his business. So okay. um, he still does some of that custom home building, but like this is you know, a pretty attractive venture and, uh, and, and something I think he's I enjoying. In terms of like next uh, or, or like additional businesses in that area, like I see the opportunity for quite a few of those and uh, depending upon what goes on with, you know, some, some things I have uh, happening right now, that may be, you know, there may be some spaces to get into that are complementary that aren't just farming based as well. Again, it's just been like, hey, let's hop in, let's learn and Let's see what other opportunities there are. Great. Trial and error, like yeah. you said, best <laughs> way to learn exactly. experience. A lot of that. So this kind of strays very far away from the typical work that you do as far as I know of, you know, the tech investments mm -hmm. um, and kind of company evaluation and increasing performance and being that catalyst. So uh, Gray Matter Ventures, if I have that correctly, mm -hmm. is the angel investing fund Correct. Uh, that you were a co-founder in? Yep. Okay. Well, well, I mean, it, I, am, I am the guy. So okay. yeah, j okay. j just me. So um, the thing that stood out about this fund, aside from your other operation you have going on, which you have a few, which we're going to get to eventually, um, is that you invest in people mm -hmm. and not necessarily companies, which I think is one of the most important aspects of you know networking in general, not even businesses, getting on good terms with people, doing stuff out of respect for others and not just for yourself, and yep. you know meeting people and getting out there. 
Um, but the argument can also be made that there are a lot of great ideas and a lot of great people out there, but there are not a lot of great business plans. Mm -hmm. So are you the one supplying the business plan or are you already banking on the operation that they have going on? Yeah, so like my, my, my focus is really post-revenue, so I don't do anything that's, you know, to an idea. Up. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. So, you know, five to $20 million in revenue is really kind of my sweet spot. Okay. Um, so yeah, they have to have an idea that, that, you know, has manifested, it's in market, they've got a product or service that they're, they're seeing success with. The investing in people thing, I think, is you know really comes out of a desire to to see that individual as a platform as well. Like if this business you know ha were ha to happen to fail down the road, obviously that's not plan A. But like, or if it succeeds wildly and there's an exit there, right? Like, is this a relationship that I can see going forward, continuing to to invest in and so on? So definitely, to your point, like the the whole notion of like the romanticized startup culture and just in terms of not having anything, you know, no revenue, spending money wildly to develop a product that hopefully Living gets Living on ramen fit. in the valley and yeah, whatnot, exactly. right? I think that ship is, is fortunately sailed, right? Like I a, agree. A lot of folks are, are looking at like business fundamentals and profitability as, as you know, an early stage uh, uh, lever and a guide for is this a strong business. And not only that, sorry to interrupt, no, but no. I mean, you, you look at Texas, that is becoming the new valley. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all these huge, um, you know, large cap corporations setting up shop there for their HQ, it's like, the culture is kind of gone. It's missing. And I mean, you look at the homeless situation too in LA and other places sure. near the valley, it's really sad to see what's happening. But you know, it's not only the culture that's moving, but it's the business with it as well. Yeah, I think there's just been so much runway around that, you know, hey, you're gonna get a billion dollar valuation and by the way, you're, you know, burning you know, <laughs> tens of millions kind of dollars. Kind of like the mindless basis. VCs just throwing cash out. Right, you don't see a lot of those. I mean, the stories are still out there, right? But like, you don't see a lot of those investments, you know, like the whole we works of the world and so on. Like, I think we've seen enough of that at this point that you, you fundamentally have to say, can you sustain yourself as a business if all this, you know, uh, river of capital dries up? And so customer satisfaction and just, you know, creating something that, that people really, that are, it's mission critical for their business or their personal life um, is another one of those things I look for. Like if, if everything hit the fan tomorrow, like is your invoice gonna be the one that gets paid because you're providing something mission critical? So like uh, your former company, and you know, I shouldn't say former because you're still a part of it, mm -hmm. but stage two capital is very similar in the sense that it invests in tech, right? With poor totally. revenue engines, but successful business models. Yep. So how, how did you obtain the knowledge aside from experience? What was the first business click that made sense where you took a company to positive revenue um, that had a successful model, but just wasn't quite getting there? with their return on investment originally. Yeah, so so just to clear up, so Stage 2 is another firm that I'm a part of as an LP. So okay. I got invited to come in um, as a limited partner and, and their model is, is super interesting. And the reason actually why I'm involved there is to help me out on the gray matter side, right? Like I'm, okay. you know, although I've been through diligence processes and, and, you know, taken, you know, had buyouts in organizations that I've been a part of, that's definitely, you know, I'm, I don't have a finance background. Like, I, I feel like I've got a pretty decent nose for business and is this a viable model and so on. But it was a great opportunity to come in as an LP in an active fund that allows its LPs to evaluate those, those investments, right? And so everyone in stage two is a sales and marketing expert, normally, you know, C-level or, or uh, business owner. And based on those specialties, like we're kind of called in for, hey, we've got a, an opportunity with a sales enablement solution or, you know, a marketing software platform, whatever. That's your area of expertise. And so we'll participate within those diligence cycles and, and really give, again, like, is this something that 
has legs as far as the utilitarian aspect? Is it something marketers need, or is it just another you know, one of the dozens in the stack? Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But the thing that most businesses are missing, and, and what's interesting about uh, stage two and their approach, most people are missing that repeatable marketing and sales engine, right? Like it's either early days are, are referral based, or they're trying to put you know, tons of feet on the street, like the old Salesforce model and so on and just sell, 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 cram things down people's throats with the whole, you know, pounding the, the phone for dollars aspect. Cre you know, coming with that blueprint and saying, this is how we're gonna make this scalable, this is the technology you need, the types of people, here's the processes, like, that's just a really interesting part to me. And, and ultimately, when I spend more time on gray matter, I think that'll be the approach that I take there. Like, hey, here's not only the investment, but here's the SWAT team to kind of come in, help you build that sales and marketing team out, and then unplug at the, at the right time. I think, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And also, in starting a company, I think the, day, the days of brand ambassadors and whatnot are over because, you know, customers want to be treated like they're in the business. They want to totally. be in the know. Um, and I think what that does, and also selling people to review the product, um, you know, as a consumer is just untruthful. So sure. I, I think customers also really appreciate, um, there's a great uh, two-way community that sells holsters, T-Rex arms. Okay. Um, and they're they're very well known not only for their products but for their content mm -hmm. um, and the ways their business runs that operate at a cash flow negative you know providing YouTube videos free knowledge um, and whatnot and then also admitting their faults so they had a scandal um, where they had a batch of plate carriers that were said to be made in America but the distributor was actually making them in Mexico so then they oh, wow. laid it out in front of um, their audience and said this is what happened X Y and Z went through um, and then their sales went through the roof afterwards. Interesting. So um, I, I think the honesty and also, you know, not paying for attention has also been huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, your biggest selling channel should be your existing clients, right? Like, they're, if, if you can make every customer feel like they're your only customer, like, they're going to tell other people about that, right? They're going to be a, an amplification channel for you. So, uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, so, now we transfer over to LeadMD, which yeah. is the big kahuna, um, your baby, in which you founded and are still CEO now today. Um, why don't you dive into a little bit of that and how it is similar and different than the other two or three operations you have going on? Yeah, I'd say probably the main difference is like LeadMD is an absolute accidental business, right? So <laughs> the accidental empire. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah. Um, so long story short, right? Like I, I talked a little bit about like my first kind of startup experience and, and kind of taking that equity stake and so on. I, I cashed my equity out, had a buy out there. Thought I was going to take a, a year-long vacation. Took a three-day-long vacation until I got a phone call that said, "Hey, do you want to come on and and basically be our CMO and build the same thing that you built at this other organization?" Um, and I said, "No, but I'll do it in a consulting manner." And and literally within the next two weeks, I had two other calls that were exactly like that. So I had three consulting clients um, to come on and 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 really kind of retool sales and marketing, build that engine for the organization. Um, had 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 some interesting experience in a in a space that's now called marketing automation. Um, had bought that that type of software. I told my clients like, hey, it's great, I can do this, but you have to buy marketing automation. You have to buy CRM. I'll help you implement it. You know, train your people on it, and we'll we'll create this and you know ultimately help them drive revenue through marketing. So that that kind of wave in terms of marketing automation taking off technology really being infused in marketing as well as like marketers not knowing how to run any of this stuff or, or kind of figure that out just led to more clients and, and more and more and more. Like, like a, you said, word of mouth totally, through clients. Totally, as well as like a huge market trend that was going on. So 
you know, before we knew it, like I had taken office space, I was hiring employees, we were trying to figure out how to train these people because then no one knew how to run the software, so which was kind of the backbone of the business. So, you know, that kind of burnt like wildfire for the first five years of that business to where we had, we had to really say like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, what what is the purpose of this business? And so that's an interesting model to where we, we had seen success, we were definitely profitable, like things were going well, but then I'd take a step back and say like, what? What, what do I really want to do here? What's what do I want to grow this What's into? the purpose? Exactly, exactly. Right. So that's, um, that's not always the case in a business, right? Most of the time you hear about like this really intentional, here's my market, and you know, some of the other businesses we've talked through are certainly in that vein. Um, but I think it also gave me a really interesting perspective because I'd always been involved in software, um, uh, payment processing, uh, uh, payment technology, things of that nature in the past. And to see a people-based business grow is just, such great context because you realize like these people are my product so my customer every day first and foremost is making sure they show up to work they know what you know they're, they're well empowered they know what they they need to do they know why this is important for us to do together um, and i have to retain them like anytime you lose a an employee in a, in a service-based business it's it's detrimental right like that's the face of the company for probably a half a dozen to a dozen clients right so you know that halfway point for for me was a big kind of, you know, come to Jesus moment, like, what are we doing? How do we rally people around that cause? Um, and not that you asked, but the, 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 like what came out of that process is everyone in that business became an owner, right? Because I wanted to give them the same experience that, that I had early on in my career in terms of like work hard, we'll reward you with sweat equity, and that's your reason for being there. And that, that you know. That and to perform better. Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot of people get confused as to why people give away equity, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, equity is just another term for motivation. Totally. In a company. And, and you also start to, so that's another lesson, right? Like not everyone's motivated by the same things. Right. And so as we, as we went further along and, and grew, you start having to reward people in different ways or at least show them value in the equity in different and ways. And explain to them why you would rather own equity than cash. Totally, it, which is a big lesson, right? Like most people that we're dealing with from an offer perspective are like, what's that salary on the bottom line? And you, you, you know, some people are, are just aren't gonna make that turn with you, well, right? And, that, and that's like, hey, right. you're, you're not our people at that point. And a lot of people allow themselves to be, themselves to be bought and to have a mm -hmm. number. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and again, like that very simple number, like salary should be hopefully like one of the most minimal components to, to your take home at the end of the day. I think anyone that's, that's seen equity or has seen, you know, variable compensation based on performance will, will be a total believer in, in that aspect. But until you see it, and that's how I was raised when I grew up as well, right? Like it was all about what can you get up to from a salary perspective and then having the opportunity to look at my paycheck and say like, wow, that's less than 20% of, of what I'm gonna make this year, right? Um, and that, that was my experience at that startup environment because I was bonused on certain revenue goals. And after a while, it was just like, I, I don't care about my salary, like increase my points on, you know, wh whatever I'm aiming at for, for a goal. And that was just, you know, a mind blowing, under, you know, learning for me, and that's what I'm trying to, to indoctrinate within uh, our folks on a daily basis. And I think a lot of people like the safety and security of knowing the number that they're going to get and being able sure. to budget, you know, their life and their earnings and whatnot, mm -hmm. and exploring the benefits of the job. Whereas, you know, someone with your aspect and where you're at now would probably be looking for, you know, what are my stock options in a company? Um, not worrying about vacation days. Let me donate my salary back into the company to see it grow more and therefore increase my equity yep. in the company. And I, and I did that for the first three years of LeadMD. I didn't take a salary, right? Like, cause there's just better ways to, 
to, to manifest the value of, uh, uh, of that cash. And still, even if people want to see like that, that bottom line and like budgets and, and understanding like what you're taking in and what you're spending every month, like super important, right? But there's like, if you want to take a risk, like a lot of people play the stock market or they, you know, like if you want to take a risk, invest in something you can control first, right? Like that's always been my high risk investment is the company that I'm, I'm, I'm working with, like mutual funds and bond market, things of that nature. Like that's great for great. You don't want to base income, off optimism right? or pessimism. You want right. to base off you. And I want to base on something I can control. Right. Absolutely. In a so. privately held corporation. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and also with that, um, like you said, privately held, um, have you ever thought of possibly taking lead MD public and putting it in the hands of the market? Would so, that ever be appealing to you? And what would be your reasoning, if none, or if any, to do that? Yeah, so, I, I mean, not LeadMD in, it, in, it, in the form that it was in. So the interesting thing is, you know, LeadMD was acquired in February of this year. So now we're part of a larger organization. And that larger organization, that's definitely a possibility, right? Like, it, uh, we, we, I had a goal in mind in terms of what I wanted to be able to provide for our employees, the, the, the value that I wanted to get for the business. And then I also saw like, what, what do we need help with, right? Like back office stuff. Uh, we had a very lean operations team, like hiring was literally killing us. Like when you get above, you know, that 50 employee mark in an agency, that becomes really difficult to know everyone's name and to spend 50% of your time hiring. So I knew I needed some help with those aspects. Um, so that, that's really the reason that we decided to uh, to go forward with an acquisition. Now I rolled ownership into that subsequent organization as well. And in terms of going public or or a larger acquisition, like all those items are on the table now at this okay. point. But we needed, you know, we needed a larger infrastructure to be able to support that next phase of growth. Right. And and how would you ever know when it's time to leave and well, start something new? Yeah, I mean, my my point of leaving is already kind of carved out. I, I set that in this first acquisition and said like I'll. I'm on board to take this to this, the next level, right? Like we, we, there's kind of within the market that we're in, and I'm sure a lot of markets, right? Like there's these key thresholds. Once you meet this, you've got, you know, a nice multiple off EBITDA. Once you get this, you've got an even crazier multiple. So we got a really nice uh, uh, price for LeadMD. In fact, like I don't know of a lot of any other organizations in that space that have been acquired at that level. But then there's this bigger, right? Like we went, we had 52 employees when we were acquired right around that 250 employee mark, right around that like 10, $15 million in EBITDA mark, there's a whole nother potential there. And so like, that's my, my new goal, obviously. And I've already told him like, I'm on board for one more acquisition and then it, it, it's too large for me. Like, I, I don't want to be in the thousands of employees uh, right. range. Uh, and that's just me personally. I like, I know I work better in, in kind of small, uh, hypergrowth, agile environments, and I really enjoy, you know, the day-to-day the -day there. But at a certain point, I know myself well enough to say, like, I'm out. And you so don't want to follow the corporate chain of command. Yeah, exactly. Because there, there is a chain of command that comes along with it. It's different when you're in a startup or smaller company. A lot of bureaucracy, can, too. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, you know, you have to kind of follow that, too. Mm -hmm. So I, I can definitely see the unappealing aspect yeah, of that. Yeah, And also, I think somebody likes you like to, likes to build and to start I something do. over uh, again. I, I like that, you know, trial and error, that experimentation, in knowing that, hey, some of these things are gonna fail and that's okay, but the, the point is we took the shot, right? In it, a way, it, it can be kind of fun to fail. Totally. And, and to learn yeah, from Yeah, if it. you're learning from it and you're, you know, really, because a lot of people say like, you know, fail fast and let's learn from our mistakes, but like to really learn something new from that process, it takes a high degree of intention. Um, and if you're putting that towards it, like it, it, it's invaluable. It's almost as if, you know, 
during our young years, we shouldn't be learning how to be successful and follow the ways of society, but we should be learning how to fail successfully. And I'm learning from that. I mean, you talk about like lessons in school and so on. Like, who ever did like a postmortem on a project, right? Like, or a teacher or a gave paper. you an F. You don't write and, papers and, and, in the real world. Right. But even a paper, right? Like, you get an F, and that's an F on paper. And who even went to their teacher and was like, give me notes. I want to redo this, right? Like, well, I, and it's I don't like, who was the teacher to play God? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, here, here it is, you're done type right. of deal. Like, that's just not real world uh, uh, viable, right? Like, you get a second chance if you're willing to take that in, in, in most opportunities. So, like, we should be encouraging kids to do that. All right, you sucked it up this time. Like, all right, how do you, how do you go back and, and make that better and, and learn from that in a really quick clip and maybe, you know, boost the grade, do something else, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, we need to give people more business uh, real-world business situations to operate within. And I think with that, do more creating than investing. Totally. You know, as much as I love Buffett and Munger, it's like, you got to build something to, mm -hmm. to, in my eyes, be really meaningful to society. Agreed. How are you going to better something by just evaluating yep. and reading, yep. you know? Yeah, and I mean, getting back to the school analogy, like, I had classes where, you know, we, 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 we had a, here's your sample investing portfolio and how your stock's doing and so on, but I never, no one ever taught me to read a balance sheet or, you know, figure out, Hey, if you, costs are out of control over here, what do you do to adjust? Or if some crazy market condition blows up, like how do you react to that? Th those are things that are just so invaluable. So now that I'm graduated, I can say this on camera. One of the biggest <laughs> detriments to my high school education was in my economy class, hmm. or economics class, excuse me. And we did a simulation stock market game on MarketWatch. Okay. And so the teacher basically said, here's half a million dollars, do whatever you want with it. At the end, the winner gets a prize. And that was it. And so I had, to, I had to sit in a classroom and listen to kids putting their entire portfolio into Tesla or only three mm -hmm. different companies. And cool you know, companies. I'm, and I, I'm one for risk. You know, you don't get anywhere without calculated risk. But at the same time, she never explained the why. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is the only way you will learn is by experience and asking why and asking questions. You, anybody could sit down and listen to a PowerPoint and not soak it in. That's totally. not going to do them any good. Um, and just different types of investments. Everyone does stocks, right? You know what I mean? Hey, what's taxable equities, fixed income, you know, like the, the, all these different things that you, you learn. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they get money to invest, and that's, although not the worst time, but not the best time either, right? Because now right. you're playing with, with well, things Well, and then, that then you go into the whole field of financial advisors that, mm -hmm. you know, will take a cutoff commission. Yep. And, um, you know, there's that whole field too, which, by the way, they're providing a service, which is good because a lot of people don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and, ma ma um, make some good friends that can give you good financial advice. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd advise that before any financial advice. And at the same time, when you're in the position of you know acquiring your own knowledge and taste of what you want to do with that cash, it's always great to get more opinions from mm -hmm. others, which totally. is why everybody should still have a financial advisor. Yeah. Couldn't agree more? Yeah. Um, so back in your field, did you ever have anybody tell you no when you were trying <laughs> to create one of these companies? And I know it's a yes. So why don't you tell us yeah. your worst horror story with that? loaded question. Right. Uh, no, I mean, geez, you, you could pick literally anything. So it, I'll, I'll kind of rewind to the, the beginnings of LeadMD. So as we were launching that business, like I mentioned, there was this whole kind of influx of marketing technology, which is still happening today, but uh, it was in its infancy. No one really knew what it was. So we were like, oh, great. We're going to go take a known marketing automation software, we're going to white label it and we're going to brand it as our own business. We're going to wrap services around it. It'll be this all encompassing offering. Uh, and it seemed like a great idea and unfortunately was not. You know, like you, we, we were up against 
a massive VC-backed Silicon Valley organization that could spend a lot more money to get eyeballs than we could. So every time we got a new lead, that lead had already been on the website of the software that I was reselling, um, which is a system called Marketo. It's not like a secret story or anything like that. Um, and so we ended up a lot of interest within the services part of the business, not so much in, in buying the software from us because we thought we were going to get this really great, easy recurring revenue model out of it. Um, so the people that told us no were literally clients every single day, right? But they weren't telling us a full-on no. They were, they were telling us what they needed. And I think it, it, in understanding, wow, there's a big need for services here. Like they're willing to, to they need this so bad that they'll, they'll acquire the, or we can offer them the same type of recurring contract that we would under the software, but for services. So for the first three years of the business, 100% of our revenue was retainer-based. And that was also critical to just knowing that we weren't starting each month from scratch. Like right. we had hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in every month because we knew what those contracts looked like, right? So I think every time you hear no, number one, don't, I, I think any entrepreneur would tell you, like don't take that at face value. Like no is never no or rarely no. Um, but also hear where the, the yes is within there, right? And so I think, you know, by listening to the market and just being the able to- The why to the no. Yeah, exactly. And like my big thing is yes. Like, and this is what I coach my teams to do as well. Like, say yes to things. Number one, people aren't used to receiving yes a lot. Like, but if someone invites you to do something, do it. The the like publicity, the thought leadership, the the personal brand building aspect of things is just so massive these days. And I think that's something that wasn't so predominant ten years ago when we started that business. But when you look back at why that business was successful, is because we lit up. You know, we, we weren't really selling marketing services. We were selling the ability to be a better marketer. And the only judge of that that they had was looking at us. Right. It's like, oh, you guys are doing great content. Oh, you're, you're actually eating your own dog food, blah, blah, blah. And so by being great marketers and, and showing people how to do it in a very open and kind of value forward way, they would then subscribe to our services and, and, and purchase engagements from us. So um, I think with a, with a no, there's always a great, you know, ancillary yes in there somewhere. And you just have to be willing to hear it as well. So many people hear no and just turn around. I, I won't go into the million diatribes I could around this, but I, there's so many times where I'm pitching, so, or like, not even pitching, but asking, hey, there's this great opportunity. Would you want to be involved in this? And they almost fill in all the blanks with things that, that are like negative to Mad them. Libs. And, right. and so, uh, it's not for me. Wow, like uh, I'm offering you a pretty good situation. Like, can you, <laughs> you want to have a conversation about why, why you're filling in those, uh, those with no's? So say yes more often, I think, is, is my number one piece of advice right there with, with, you know, form as many relationships as you can. And you said through scaling with the clientele and with your specific contracts, um, was debt ever an option for you for scaling your company, Fort specifically with LeadMD? Fortunately, no. Um, I think, you know, we went about building that, is it, like I said, like we controlled... So number one, we invested in sales and marketing like crazy, but okay. I didn't invest in a salary for me. Like fortunately, right. when I started the business, I was in a position not to have to take a salary. But at the same time, anything that we could, you know, cut corners cut corner on, on it, it, reduce expenses on, we did, but we invested in the things that I feel like a lot of businesses cut first. If something goes wrong, a lot of people cut marketing. We doubled down on marketing. We would do things, you always tell the story, like we, uh, our, our partner again at the time, Marketo, now Adobe, uh, who is a, uh, acquire them, but they hold this big annual conference. And we, as like a 12 person organization, took a half million dollar booth at this conference. Like everyone else is like Accenture and Deloitte and so on. That built our brand. Okay. Just by investing in, in an area that most people would be like, oh, I'm, 
I'm gonna do this little 10 by 10 or whatever, right? Like it's uh, the safe route. Like by doing that, that put us on the map. Everyone's like, whoa, what, who are these guys? Um, so I think, you know, spending money where it makes sense and, and you know, not in frivolous ways and, and areas that you can get by without is, is, is cash flow is, is king to me. Okay. Um, and you also have kind of in the sense that, you know, your money should work for you while you sleep. You can also teach people while you sleep through this new platform. Totally. Six Bricks. Totally. So why don't you go into a little bit of that and how that can teach others about increasing revenue and how to run their companies properly. It, you, sorry to interrupt again, but it mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of the Robert Kiyosaki game, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Sure. So you're, you're teaching people how to play Monopoly with marketing mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. The, I mean, the, we've talked a bit about it, right? Like what you learn in school these days. So before I even get into that, the salaries in marketing right now are nuts. Like, what, what do you think the average, like, starting salary is for, like, a, a marketing campaign manager? Well, for what company? That's the question. Well, it's kind of standardizing out there as well, because the same talent that works for this little startup, you know, average size company, $50 million organization. I don't know, um, 80 to 90? $140,000. Wow. Starting, right? Like, the, the problem is, you got to have experience on these software platforms. And these are kids coming out of school. Totally, okay. totally. It doesn't matter what age you are, right? If, if they've got access to, if they learn how to use these different platforms, no one's teaching that, that in school. And so the, obviously the challenge is what we're in marketing in school, like, or at least when I went to you know, school and college and so on, like we learned about the, the, the four P's and your marketing basics and product positioning, pricing, so on and so forth nothing about the underlying technology and the same thing's happening in like the graphic design space but they're handling this better right like you'll learn photoshop in school you'll learn illustrator you will not learn the the marketing automation platform for b2b marketing in 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 college so it's a big challenge and that's the reason why people are struggling to find jobs but we've got so many job openings within the space they call it marketing operations or, or revenue ops um and so the the demand is there but the the skill set can only be acquired by doing. And so if you were fortunate enough to be a marketing coordinator, marketing manager, whatever, at a company that bought the software, you kind of learned how to do it, hands on the job, and now you've got this massive skill set that, that you know that companies want to hire for. So the whole theory on Six Bricks is to kind of flip that on its head and provide students in school, graduates, career pivot individuals, whoever, whoever wants to learn this skill set in a real world hands-on way within the comfort of their own home, right? Like they didn't have to buy a piece of $80,000 software to learn it like, like, you know, is currently the norm. Buy a board game. Right. And you learn to play money. So, so the, you know, the whole experience-based learning thing is, is kind of what we're trying to champion. And it's cool because the platform doesn't, I mean, there's some video class uh, coursework. There's some multiple choice, hey, what's the right answer? But the predominant part of the, the learning platform is in the software. It looks like it's in the software. Hey, go segment this campaign. You know, I'm clicking around. It looks like I'm actually in the tool. So that's, an, again, an experience that you can't get without paying high dollar to, to acquire that software and getting the opportunity to be the person pushing those buttons, right? And so we're trying to bring that to the learner, regardless of, uh, of their age. Like we're doing some on the low, uh, on the like early stage, like grade school, uh, middle school, high school, we'll do some mentorship stuff and just like making people aware that these are, these are new careers that you might want to look into, right? Like everyone's parents tell them to be a doctor, a lawyer, so on and so forth. No one ever tells them grow up to be a marketing ops individual, right? But grow up to build something right. and own it. Yeah, exactly. Like school, school teaches you how to work. 
is exactly. what it is, which is very frustrating. And for those that want to opt out for a different path, there aren't a lot of options other than by doing, right? And so we're trying to take that notion of doing and putting it, you know, integrating that into the learning cycle. So that's what SixBricks is all about. We, we currently bundle it with our implementation services. So if you buy an implementation of a software platform with us, we're going to couple that with the, the learning modules that go with that, get people certified, you know, in that technology and, and, and empower them to have career mobility, upward mobility, so on and so forth, um, and looking to expand that, that course catalog in, in every way that we can. That's great. So he just threw a lot at you guys. I did. Um, which I, and me too. <laughs> uh, but just to kind of break it down, B2B business to business operations, it's basically teaching kids how to get hired into the right, with the right set of skills to increase revenue for other businesses through being acquired through another business for it's, being hired. It's, you'll hear this yeah. all the time, people, process, and technology, right? Like the, the, the connective tissue between that is what we call marketing operations or revenue operations. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, all you are is a catalyst. And no, I'll take nobody that. owns that catalyst, <laughs> right? So you're, you're the lightning bolt that will set companies up for success, all while starting your own companies uh, in the process of doing so. Yeah, I, I, I love that notion. I think, you know, there aren't enough people just saying, like, how can I come and amplify the people around me today? And, and that is, that's my mission. That's why I walk in the door every day. Like, I've told people ad nauseum times, like, I don't have to be in that seat. I don't have to show up at 7 a.m. every day and leave at 6. I do it because I want, like, if, if you can show me you're passionate about something, I want to help you get to a point where you can achieve that because from a relationship standpoint, I know these are people I might want to start companies with. I might want to, you know, embark on a venture with. I might need help from them one day, right? Like, I love creating that that network of, of, of high achievers and, and folks that want to perform. And a tool set. Totally. Just like you're probably one of the biggest tools in other people's toolbox. Yeah, yeah I'll take that. I'll, uh, I am a tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, great way to sum it up. Um, anything else you might want to throw out there? Any advice for the young listeners? Uh, I'll, I'll recap some points, certainly. So uh, the biggest barrier that I always see is like, oh, that person that's a CEO, they're, they're going to be busy. I, I, I don't want to disturb them. Like, disturb them. Like, CEOs <laughs> love to have conversations with people. They want to hear about interesting stuff that you're doing, bring an idea. Like, I run a program internally called No Free Lunch. Like, I will buy you lunch. All you have to do is come with an interesting topic, an interesting idea. Like, let's talk about it. Is this at LeadMD? Yeah, exactly. Okay. For, That's great. For, That's for awesome. our employees and so on. But I think people would be really surprised how open and giving people are with their time just to have an interesting conversation. Like, we do get into the same crap every single day. Like, just hearing what someone's trying to do, imparting a little bit of advice, and, and then seeing them take that and, and being able to achieve because of it. Most, most executives revel in that stuff. So don't be afraid to reach out to someone. If you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn. Like literally it is like the marketplace of, of business connections. And That's where I did my homework. Yep, yeah. so don't, don't, don't send the like cold email like, hey, I, uh, I wanna pitch you my wares or whatever, right? Like just, hey, I'm hoping to get a little bit of your time. I'm struggling with this. I see that you're in that space, hoping to get your advice and people will respond to that. Um, I think the other, the other thing is, you know, pay that forward. Be generous with your time. If you've got some sort of a skill set or you've got access to information, like how are you empowering other people with, um, with something that's probably rare in that regard, so. If you want to take, you have to give. Yeah, totally, words. totally. With everything, your money, your time, your mm -hmm. expertise. Absolutely. That's great, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, sums it up. I mean, you, you're just so unique. You started off, you know, creating LeadMD back in, was it 
06? Uh, 2010. 2010. 2010. Okay, excuse me. And then from farming and then to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all over all the board. All over the board, right? Yeah. 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 But I mean, that, that's, that's my personality. And I think the personality of a lot of founders, right? Like there's a little bit of whack-a-mole syndrome going on in there, but like ultimately there's an underpinning, at least for me, with sales and marketing. I mean, that's what I'm good at doing. And so how can I apply that to interesting businesses or opportunities out there? Do what I'm good at doing, surround myself with other people that you know, are good at doing things that I am not. Uh, and, and that's been a pretty good recipe for me. That lunch program that you mentioned is so important because like we're doing right now, how rare is it to have a conversation with no distractions where you can sit totally. down and really pick somebody's brain? I mean, it just doesn't happen yep. today. Yep, agree. Thanks to social media, you know, the distractions, Fun. the news, yeah, exactly, <laughs> everything. I mean, I, I think it's something everybody could do a lot more of and take a lot more from because the unfortunate truth is not a lot of people will have you know, the grit to pick up a book or watch a documentary or learn something on their own. They have to have that extra motivation. But you also need that real world aspect to it, right? And I think like the face-to-face -face is huge, yep. which is so lost. Yep. I mean, all these people, um, I had a great conversation with Mark Candelaria and he said uh, he got a deal because his competitor tried to close the deal over Zoom and he flew hmm. to the other country to go close the deal and he yep. was the one that got it. So I, I think that's huge, just putting in that shown effort um, and also just face-to-face -face makes it so much more important, I think. Yeah, Zo so Zoom is unfortunately, uh, I think, something that we've all gotten a little too comfortable with. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Get, you yeah. get back face-to-face -face and it, it's invaluable, like you said. And coming from a CEO, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Important. Um, yeah, and uh, any any chance you're moving operations anywhere outside of Arizona? Um, how so have, we how do has that impacted you? Yeah, so that's the fortunate thing with this acquisition now. So now we not only have the Scottsdale office, we've got uh, our headquarters in Austin. Which is why I was asking. I, I heard the move to Texas yeah. was happening. Yeah, so Austin, Atlanta, uh, Toronto, uh, Gulf. Guelph, Guelph, I think it is, Canada. Um, so a lot of different uh, uh, locations, but also, I mean, remote has just become, I mean, 35% of our employees right now are remote as well. So they're, they're definitely, the barriers that used to be like, hey, are you in this location are, are you know, breaking down on a daily basis. And uh, certainly if any of your listeners are, are interested in digital marketing on the B2B, business to business or business to consumer side, uh, we'd love to chat with them. And, you know, like we are, hiring like crazy. So even if you're not like in that area with that skill set right now, probably have some resources that can help you further down that path and um, maybe we'll meet over a, a hiring table one day. What does your youngest employee look like right now? Or youngest employee range? Oh God, I mean like I'm setting the curve in terms of age. Uh, like we are <laughs> fully millennials and whatever they're uh -huh. calling under millennials, sure. right? Like our average age is like 26 right wow. now. Um, and I've got folks that work with the, for us that are 23. Uh -huh. So, I mean, the, the, the thing about marketing is you want your organization to look like the people you're marketing to. And also kind of relate to the clientele, I yep. think. Yep. So, I mean, that goes for age, that goes for race, that goes for, you know, culture, preferences. Pop like, culture. Exactly. Right. Like, you, you can't talk to someone unless you understand what they care about on the, on the other side of that screen or whatever that happens to be. So, I think that insight and, and you know, like age is, you don't have to be... 45 and you know here's my resume of things like if you learn some of these tools these days especially from a software perspective it's a huge door opener it's kind of becoming an art of the past yeah just printing out a resume and totally. doing x y and z to please some please somebody else people send me resumes like send me your linkedin link and you know send me some folks i can talk to that have worked with you before you know just i think right. that's completely changed right and a lot of people just doing stuff to please other people and shape a path for them mm -hmm. in the future which in my opinion is a huge waste yeah, of time yeah don't, don't get a job because you think you should get a job like right. maybe maybe one of those people that wants to start a company. It's like that that's a viable business route. Yeah, definitely.
and also one that can be pursued for your entire life. Totally. Is, is one that you can build. And, and another thing is having the knowledge to build a company and not only the knowledge but the experience, because mm -hmm. knowledge is only potential knowledge, um, you know, it's unlimited. If you have the tool set, you can create anything. You know, it doesn't take money to make money is an expression we use a lot on here. Um, yeah, if you want a, a, a job that you'll never look forward to retirement within, like entrepreneurship I think is one of those. Like what's, what's the age where you stop coming up with ideas? I don't know, but. Well, I, I hope I don't there's, get always, there. there's always a new idea to be tackled. Yep, exactly. exactly. And one that you might not know nothing about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are fun as well. They are. <laughs> They're the best ones going into. Um, so what, what has your um, kind of family life been like going through this and juggling all these different companies? Because you are running about four to five companies yep. at one given time. Yep. How, how do you find the balance and time in your day to still do stuff that you want to do aside from business? Yeah, that's good. So I... You know, I've got two kids now. My oldest is four and a half. My youngest is 18 months. Uh, you know, my wife obviously plays a m monster role in, in raising those guys and, 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 you know, contributing to who they are as, as human beings. But, like, I don't want to be the, the dad that's, you know, there every other weekend or something like that or, you know, only at nights. Like, so, Honestly, I think entrepreneurship and, and running businesses affords you an, an interesting, and kids do this as well, right? Like, but the minute that you have kids, you immediately start to value your time a lot more. And, and uh, I forget whose quote it is, but like, the thing about work is whatever the amount of time that you allot for work, that work will fill that time. So if you say, I'm going to the office from eight to five every single day, well, surprisingly, you'll probably come up with eight, nine hours worth of work to fill that gap, right? I think entrepreneurship affords you a different mentality where it's like, here's the things I'm going to get done. And when I'm done doing those things, I'm, you know, I'm going to make time for whatever else is valuable in my life. So, you know, how I structure my day is, is largely what are the big things that I need to get accomplished? Like, do I need to check in with an employee? Am I doing one-on-ones? Like, what's that, that day look like? And I just have zero guilt about Taking not off finding new work right. to fill a right. gap in that day, right? right? Like, if I've got time, I'm going to go watch my kids learn to swim. I'm going to get, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I think, fortunately, employers are starting to adopt more of that mentality as well. Like, what, 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 what do you have to do at the end of the day rather than knowing that you're chained to your desk, your Slack light is on, you know, between X and, and Y hours? Um, the more we make it about outputs and, you know, are able to look across and say, what's healthy? what's important to us, let's make sure we're checking those boxes on a daily basis. Um, that, that's a work-life balance, like I hate that term. For, to me, it's just like, what are the important things I've got to do today? And one of those is gonna be spending time with my kids and, and making time for my wife. I, I think that's so important too. And a lot of people will, like you said, find duties to fill the hours in the mm -hmm. office, you know, for no reason. I mean, you'll, you'll see them taking naps in their office or whatnot, right. or, you know. And, and aside from customer service and retail, it's kind of like, well, is it really necessary? Is it necessary to go in and just spend, you know, a two-hour lunch in the office? What right. else could you be doing with that time? Totally. What else could you be creating? Yeah, and, and like I said, like how you value your time. Like if you think sitting on your, you know, butt in a chair for two hours, not trying to think of something to do or surfing the internet or whatever is the best use of your time, more power to you. Like I, that's not my belief. Well, it's unfortunate. And I, I think a, what a lot of people don't realize, if there was a clock on your ceiling when you went to bed every night that said how many seconds you were left on this earth for, and you wake up and those seconds are a lesser number, what are you going to do? To yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, everyone's seen that chart, right? Not like a lot of people like, realize, yeah. If you are X age, you are here. Here's how, you know, it's always, there's less time left than, than, you know, certainly when you're my age. Like, you start to think about that, like, wow, like, I'm, 
I'm on the other side of that curve. I, I better make sure like I feel good about what I've done that day when I when I go to sleep at night. To your point, and it's never a guarantee. Yep. Either. that's yeah. true. That's and true. and that's another thing is you will end up in the grave eventually. Why not risk it? Right. I I would rather die, you know, knowing I risked it all to achieve something great than work a nine to five and play it safe. No. Yeah, and, and that's, I think most people don't realize that until they've had some degree of a success. Like, until then, it's like, well, you know, I, I don't know if there's something right. better to do, right? Like, right. Uh, if you're not, you know, I said this the other day, like, I haven't counted the minutes at work in, I think, two decades, right? Like, I remember being in that seat, like, my first job, like, oh, man, I can't wait till it's 5 o'clock. Like, what time is it now? And so on. And the difference is simply that, like, I do love what I'm doing, and I, I also see that, like, hey, if I get that done, it's going to contribute to the things that I think are, are super important, you know, for me, my goals and so on. So if you haven't gone through, like, a goals-setting exercise and said, like, I, w I really want to accomplish these things, highly suggest it. And then just everything that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, like, is it contributing to those, those things or is it... Am I just kind of sitting still? I think simply put is having a mission statement yep. that you can start off with in life, yep. which I don't know if you had one or not, but my dad had one and he's encouraged me to start one now that I'm 18. Yep. Um, and my wife can repeat mine. Man. Okay, I, I got sure, one. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and I think just operating every single decision in life, business, you know, charactership, friendship, um, everything revolving around that mission statement. If it does not align with that mission statement, then you do not do it, especially in your younger years. Yep. You know, as you grow older, you have a lot more time to give. You have a lot more money to give. There's a lot more leeway with everything else. But I think starting off, sticking to that mission statement and saying, do I want to take this internship or should I build a company that revolves around this job that I want to eventually work for? Mm -hmm. And surround yourself with people that can keep you honest on that as well, right? right. Like we all, we all need some help and motivation from time to time. Like if you're hanging out with folks that are just like, ah, you know, no big deal. Or they're like, hey, are, are, are you being honest to what you want to do in life? To, are, are you fulfilling that mission statement? Do you have that in, in your sights? Like, I think that's super important also. So a lot of this can also be found um, in your weekly magazine, which your My blog? Your blog, yeah. right? Yep. Is that, do I have that correctly? Yep. So why don't you go into a little bit about why you do it, what you write about, aside from the obvious nitty gritty tech bits um, of information and why you do it. Yeah, so I, I started off to give back. as a journalism major, so I really do love to write. So even though, I guess you could argue that's part of my fundamental job these days, but like that's what I'm passionate about as well. And, and, and mixing that with like wanting to help other people as well as like the need to promote the business, like there's a lot of outlets there, right? Like so there's the ink column, which, you know, it tri uh, tri tribal leadership, which is what I believe in, right? Like you, you have to, like people are, are, are different types of functioning tribes. And if you ever read that, that book, um, uh, yeah, tribal leadership. Um, so the, I screwed up the name of the column. It's tribal, no, uh, tribal knowledge. Tribal leadership is the is the uh, the foundational kind of uh, uh, business mentality. Where again, tribes are functioning at certain levels. There's your lowest level tribe where everyone's infighting and and everyone's kind of for themselves. And as you move up within that chain, you know people start to come in harmony. They've got the same goal in mind, and, and they're truly working together and empowering each other. I think that that knowledge within a business and, and, and the way a business gets to, to functioning on that behalf is something I'm super passionate about. So um, that's one outlet. The other is obviously the LeadMD blog. The other is my blog on um, uh, graymatter.vc, uh, gray which is Gray Matter Venture site. Uh, but really it's all about sharing knowledge, sharing opinion, and, and you know, hopefully helping people along, along the way. And you can also go ahead and plug your two podcasts. Because yeah. Justin is a very knowledgeable guy, especially if you want to go into the tech or, you know, advisement line of work. So why don't you go ahead and... 
Sure. So, yeah, we run two podcasts. One's called Catalyst, which if you love, like, great stories about just change makers, entrepreneurs, you know, forward thinkers, Catalyst is great. Go to LeadMD site, go to our best practices area and search for Catalyst. Um, the other one is a, a, a marketing technology podcast called The T, the T-E-A. Um, my employees run that one and it's a great series. Like if you're trying to figure out like what the heck is he talking about in terms of marketing technology, marketing automation, this breaks down into like real brass tacks. Like here's what's best, here's the, here's the features, benefits, but really how people use it on a day-to-day -day basis. Those are both great. Um, but ultimately, like LeadMD's best, best practices area is a conglomerate of all that stuff. So check it out. Hopefully there's some stuff in there that, uh, that can help. Great. All right. Well, Justin Gray, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Again, I appreciate you having me, man. It was a great, uh, great little show. I think a lot of people will take uh, a little bit of knowledge away from this. I hope so. I hope so. hope you didn't go too over their heads. That's <laughs> all right. Go to the blog. We'll, we'll help you out. There you go. All right. Thank you. Cool. Is that good? Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Right. Cool. Thank you so much, Justin.